Thank you for listening to a podcast of Rock Church. For more information on sermons and events, connect with us online at rockchurchnow.com or search Rock Church Now in the App Store. Well, as Jason mentioned a little while ago, the message this morning is Money Matters with God. And it's appropriate, I guess, that the finance pastors speak on this subject. So they tap me. Uh, The title is really meant to be taking two ways simultaneously. The first way I meant for the title to be taken is that God, through the Bible, has a lot to say about money. I'll say that again. God, through the Bible, has a lot to say about money. That's why the title, Money Matters with God. And God has a lot to say about money, money, Not because, let me, I'll say it again, not because it's important to him. So let's just get rid of the big elephant in the room. You may be a regular at Rock Church and you're like, oh, here we go, they're talking about money. Or this could be one of your first times at Rock Church and you're going, see, churches always talk about money. But here's the reason why we need to talk about it. God has a lot to say in the Bible about money, not because it's important to him, but because he knows what it can do to us. He knows either the positive effect it can have on us or the negative. And because he knows what money can do to us, he says a lot about it. And here's the other reason, that I, uh, the other way I'd like to like for you to take the title, is just like any other area of our lives, relationships, worship, prayer, whatever, we should handle our finances with God. Hence, money matters with God. I see you're shaking your heads, all right. So we need to follow his word and what he says and not do this on our own because he has a lot to say about it. Okay, so let's be honest. Our personal, let me slow down, because I'm so excited. (laughs) Uh, Our personal finances influence much of what we think about, much about what we talk about, and really our finances have a lot to do with what we do on a daily basis. Our finances affect our life, our work, our work schedules, and what we do with our free time. Some people worry about whether they'll have enough money to make ends meet, or pay for an unexpected expense, or some people worry about retirement. Some people's mood changes depending on what the stocks are doing or how many bills are outstanding. That's how much money affects us. So it's not surprising that the Bible has a great deal to say about money, especially to help us handle money so money doesn't handle us. Most of us receive more training in driving a car than handling your money. 
I just did a little survey back with the creative arts team in the media room and asked them, and out of four people in the room, none of us had received any kind of formal training in how to handle our money. And yet, it's so significant in our lives. So to help us this morning, I want to look at six practical financial principles from the Bible. Since the Bible has a, say, a lot to say about it, I just want to give you six practical principles. Now, there was also, and I was tempted, but it would, it would break my record for the longest message. I was tempted to not just talk about the practical stuff, but our attitude toward money, but that's a separate message. So let's just look at six practical things. So in your notes, the first one, number one, is follow a budget. God tells us through the Bible to budget. Simply put, a budget is a written plan. It's a guide. It's a way to track and control your income and expenses. It's just a plan. The Bible doesn't use the term budgeting Yet it offers clear direction on the importance of such planning. You'll see a scripture on the screen, Proverbs 27, 23 says this, Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Now, you may be thinking, look, I don't have any flocks right now, so how does this apply to me? Well, when you understand the context that herds were not pets, in those days, herds were their livelihood. It's how they made their money. It's how they lived was through their herds. So put it in modern terms, we need to be aware of how we're using our income so we know whether we need to adjust our spending. Know the condition of your flocks. Know where you're at. Now, there, there's another scripture I pulled out, and there's a lot more about budgeting, but I use these two Luke chapter 14, you can see the verse on the screen. I'm not going to read it because you can read it while you're listening to me. In fact, you're probably reading something on your phone right now anyway and listening to me at the same time. So you can do this. But this is the story of Jesus giving an example of it's foolish to plan on building a tower without counting the cost. In other words, you sit down and you go, this is what it'll take to build it. This is how much it's going to cost. Do I have enough money before I start the project? And of course, the principle here is if you start something without counting the cost, you may end up not finishing the project, and then people are going to walk by your half-built tower and go, what a fool. Now, again, probably nobody in this room is building a tower, but the principle is there that you need to plan ahead. Now, this talks about constructing a tower, but budgeting is talking about constructing your life. It's talking about constructing your future. Who doesn't sit down and count the cost for their daily expenses in life? Because you may go through life, and if you don't plan, if you don't count the cost, at some, type, at some point, it may really, really, really be bad. So there's wisdom in counting the cost. Budgeting helps avoid impulsive and unnecessary spending. Budgeting helps us live within our means. And budgeting helps prepare for the future. Because if you have a good budget, your, part of your budget is saving for the future. 
That's part of it. If we don't carefully plan our finances and direct them where to go, our money will end up directing us where to go. And it will take you places you don't want to be. Direct your money or it will direct you. So set up a household budget. There are plenty of resources online to help or ask someone who's good at budgeting. We have a lot of people in this church who are good at budgeting. Ask them. Ask for help. Because once you've established your budget, live by it. Don't just put it on a piece of paper and go, yeah, I got a budget. Live by that budget. It's going to take some determination. It's going to take, I know we all hate this word, discipline, but do it. It's a necessary step if you're going to get your finances under control. Number two, tithe faithfully. God tells us through the Bible to tithe. And the top priority of our income before we do anything else with it should be the tithe. I didn't give you 15 verses, but there's at least that many that say, give your first fruits. First fruits. That means the first. It does. In the Greek and the Hebrew, it means first. Give your first fruits before you do anything else. The top priority should be our tithing. And as you know, the tithing is 10% of our income. And here's the thing. Tithing is first and foremost an act of honor and trust. So I know as soon as you're in church and you hear the word tithe, again, you think, oh, they just want my money. Look, God put tithing in the Bible for your benefit, not his. It is about honoring God and trusting God and obedience follows. Because our heart is God, I want to honor you and I want to trust you, then we'll obey him. It's not obey first. Although that's maybe where you need to start, it's honor and trust first. And when we tithe, we show God that we are putting him first in our lives. And, last I, and like I said in the sermon last week about trusting, we are showing that our dependency is in him alone. That's one of our vision statements on the walls here. We dream of a place where our dependency is in God alone. Now, certainly God doesn't need our money, like I said. And realistically, everything we have belongs to him. So the true beneficiaries of tithing is the person who tithes. The tither is the beneficiary, not God. Yeah, the ch- it helps the church. We get to pay our bills. But the tither is the true beneficiary of tithing. And here's what I mean by that. Malachi 3.10, let's focus on the last part of that, where he says, when we faithfully tithe, he will throw open the floodgates of heaven. Get that imagery. He doesn't just, okay, I'll unlock the door and I'll creak it a little bit and I'll let a little blessing seep out. He said, when we tithe, he throws open the door and lets the floodgates of heaven pour out such a blessing that we don't have enough room for it. 
And the blessings can be physical or spiritual or both. But tithing teaches us to be good stewards of what God has given us and teaches us to live unselfishly. And when you learn to live unselfishly, that will improve your household finances. And believe it or not, it can help improve your relationships in the home. Statistically, for decades, what's been the number one thing that couples argue about in the home? Money. And it could be that if you live by God's principles, it could not only free you up with some financial freedom, but could also relieve the tensions in the home because you're handling your money better. So tithing helps us to learn to trust God more fully and develop a relationship with him. I remember a friend of mine said this one time, and I put it in one of my quote books, tithing has helped me to stay more focused on God and to remember we can always count on God for all situations. That's what tithing has taught him over the years. That leads to number three. Avoid unnecessary... God, what is wrong with my voice today? Like, there's, there's a gap between my mouth and my brain. Avoid unnecessary borrowing, which is debt. You, know, you do know debt is a four-letter word, right? So we should avoid it like crazy. God tells us through the Bible to avoid debt. For example, in Proverbs 22, 7, the Bible warns us with this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now don't focus on the first part, focus on the second part. The borrower is servant to the lender. If you have debt, in essence, you become a servant or a slave to your creditors. Because whether you have really connected this or not, look, credit card companies have done such a great job with this, we don't even think about it. But when we go into debt to them, we are now working for them. Because your paycheck is now going to pay them. The more debt you have, the less free you feel. Right? We've, we've probably all been there in some capacity. We just feel the weight of the debt. You probably have felt this way before. You no longer have the freedom to decide how you're going to spend your money or spend your finances because now you're obligated to those debtors. You're obligated to the creditor to pay your bills. The way to keep debt in check is to be careful about buying on credit. Now, look, I know there's all sorts of philosophies for Christians across the board from don't have any credit cards at all to they're okay to have as long as you're responsible with them. We're not here to discuss that today. All I'm going to say today is be careful about buying on credit. In fact, if, if I could have you leave here with one thing today, quit thinking of credit as this magical stuff that shows up because I hand somebody a plastic card. From now on, when you think of credit and you take that card out, think of it as taking out cash. And do you have the cash to put what you're about to put on your credit card? Do you have it? Be careful about how you use credit especially not to take out high-interest loans 
for non-essentials. I mean, that works in principle in general. Don't take out high-interest loans, but especially not for non-essential items. And be prudent about what you think is essential. <laughs> Come on, let's be real. Like, you may be thinking, I just have to stop at Dairy Queen on the way out of church because that is essential for my well-being. And I just happen to have a plastic card that allows me to enjoy now and pay it later. I don't care, I don't care what world you're in, Dairy Queen is not essential, right? But you get the idea. Say no to yourself. This is why finances has to be a discipline like any other discipline, like your eating discipline or your tithing uh, um, discipline or your praying discipline or your reading the word discipline or your workout discipline. I'm sorry, am I getting into meddling right now? Credit cards are high interest debt. And if you've never thought of it that way, you need to think of it that way. A credit card has a high interest debt. Think of it this way. They're loans. They are loans. You signed a piece of paper that said, I will use this plastic card so I can get money and spend money, but this is a loan. And most of us would really think twice about taking out a private loan, but we don't think twice about zipping that credit card for whatever. And those high-interest loans will take more of your money than you're aware of. Let me give you an example. There's a slide we, I made for this. In February, just in February of this year, the average interest rate on a credit card was 20.92%. 21 21%. How many of you would sign a house loan for 21%? How about buy a car at 21%? And why do we not think twice about putting non-essentials or some things on a credit card at 21%? Since February, as of July 3rd, according to Forbes magazine, the interest rate went up another 4.4%. Uh, Average interest rate on a credit card now is 24.54%. So, let me do the math for you since it's early on a Sunday morning. This means you will pay $245 interest annually on every $1,000 of debt you have on a credit card. $245 on every 1000 of debt that you don't pay down annually. So I know how we work with credit cards. I am human after all. Look, I just put it on the credit card now and I can pay for it later. And it's such a good sale. And you may have got it on sale and put it for credit, but if you don't pay it off right away, you're paying more than the, not only the sale price, but the asking retail price. Why do you think so many stores and airlines are offering you reward points if you get a credit card through them. Do you think businesses do that because they lose money on the deal? They 
are making so much money on this that everybody is doing it. Well, except churches, we are never going to say, you'll get three event reward points if you take out a Rock Church credit card right now. We're never going to do anything like that. But I hope you see how shocking credit card debt, what it can do. If you let the balance carry over month after month, you can quickly end up owing far more than the original price of your purchase. So here's, like I said, treat credit cards like cash. Only use a credit card if you can pay the full balance off on the statement each month. Then you don't have to pay any interest. Now, I get it. Life happens. There's emergencies, and sometimes you can't do that. So again, that's why I emphasize be careful on what you put in your card. And if you have to put stuff on the card just because at least temporarily the finances aren't there, then pay that thing off as fast as you can. So don't go to Dairy Queen after church. Use the money you go to Dairy Queen and put it to that debt and pay that debt down as fast as you can. If you have a lot of outstanding revolving debt, this should be paid off as quickly as possible. Start with your highest interest rate uh, loans and credits and pay those off and you'll see what God can do. All right, number four, save up before spending. Save is a positive four-letter word. It is a good thing to save. God tells us through the Bible to save. Now, financial planners generally suggest that you save at least 10% of your income every month. Save at least 10% every month. Now, if you're doing the math, you're going, wait a second, Pastor Steve. First of all, you said I should tithe 10%. Give that to God right off the get-go. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me I should save 10% on top. That's absolutely right. That only gives me 80% to live on. Uh Uh-huh. Because saving the cash will help you down the road, not just for retirement, but when you save before you spend, when things like the furnace goes out, you've already planned in your budget, right? Right? I'm kind of asking, but I'm saying this. Because you have a budget, you put in a line item in your budget that says, I'm going to save for big ticket items that go bad because it's going to happen. Like car repairs, furnace replacement, roof replacement. I put, everybody does that, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But you've already got it in your budget, right? <laughs> okay, four people I think I got on that one. Okay, good. But that's the importance of saving. And if you save, then when those big ticket items come up, you don't have to worry like, oh my gosh, I got to put it on the credit card. No, I've been saving up as part of my budget to cover those expenses when they happen. And believe me, they're going to happen. So save. Saving up money before making a purchase is one of the smartest ways to keep out of financial trouble. Has anybody taken or followed Dave Ramsey? Okay, you know Dave Ramsey shares this. He shares this principle about saving to put aside money so when things happen, you've got the cash to do it. Proverbs 21.20 says this, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. That right there is the principle of saving. A wise person, when he gets even really good stuff, 
sets it aside and saves it for a rainy day. The foolish, nope, I got it in the pantry, it's in the fridge, I'm eating it now. And they don't learn to save. This is a principle on saving and separates the wise save and the foolish don't. I like what the contemporary standard version reads for this verse. It says, be sensible and store up precious treasures. Don't waste them like a fool. Proverbs 6, 8, 6, 6 through 8 describes the ant who saves during a time of plenty for a time when there will be need. And it goes on to say, go to the anthill, you sluggard. How do you like that for wording in the Bible? Go to the anthill, you sluggard, watch and learn. Doesn't the ant put away for a time when they need it? We too should be as smart as ants or uncles. I'm allowed one dad joke. Come on. We're talking about money. I need to break the tension. Number five, give. Give. God tells us through the Bible to give. Everything we have, like I said before, our money, our physical assets, our jobs, even the ability to earn money comes from God. And after meeting our own needs, God wants us to share some of what we've been given with others. In Acts 20, 35, Paul quotes and says, and actually Paul quotes Jesus as saying, so Jesus and Paul both said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Even in the Old Testament, when it was an agrarian society where they, they all lived by agriculture, God even told them then, when you go to harvest your field, leave the corners of the field for those who are poor. Even in the Old Testament, there was a principle of Handle your finances so you have something to give those who are in need. After you tithe, you could give to charity or kingdom builders. That's what we have kingdom builders for. And if you didn't know, kingdom builders supports our missionaries, our missions projects, and helps those who are in need in our area. At Rock Church, again, one of our vision statements is, we dream of a place where together... We make a local and global impact. And when we budget and tithe and stay out of debt and save, we have the opportunity to give, not just to help people here in our area, but literally impact the world. While we need to exercise wisdom in how much we give, Please, if you were like me, when I was young, I didn't mind being generous. I bought meals for people. I gave money away because I thought it was so cool. Like when you give money away, you feel cool. You feel like, wow, I helped somebody out. And I gave and I gave, but I didn't have a budget. Right, dear? <laughs> I didn't save any money. Right, dear? I didn't handle my money well, but I was generous. So you can be generous and be generous overboard. It needs to fit with the other principles, and I'll speak more about that in a minute. But we need to exercise wisdom in how much we give. We shouldn't be so tight with our money that we're reluctant to part with any of it, Ebenezer's. As with tithing, God blesses us when we are gracious and when we give and we're generous Luke 6, 8 reads this way, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. Here's the principle. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that is from both God and others. I have noticed this in my lifetime. When you are not generous around others, let's just use the example of alligator arms at the dinner table. When you are reluctant to pick up the tab for the table, people notice that, and eventually you will quit getting dinner invites. Because with the measure you measure out, it'll come back to you. And that only works for people, but it works for God. And God wants to do that because he wants you to learn to trust him. The more you trust him, the more you handle your finances uh, over to him, the more then he can bless you. But look, there's wisdom in this. I mean, I can think of the wisdom in this just from being a parent. If I give my kid two bucks and they can't handle it, like if I don't see them tithe 20 cents off the two bucks and then save 20 cents at least and then spend the other buck 60 wisely, me as a parent, I'm going, well, I'm not going to be giving you more money until I see what you do with this. But the more I see my kids handle their money wisely, the more I can give them money because I know they're going to do well with it. Well, why do we think that's different with God and us? We don't handle it well at all. We get in a financial emergency and then we're like, God, help! But he's like, why would I bail you out quickly so that you can not put into discipline how to handle your money so you're just going to be in this mess again? God's going to be a good father and go, I'll help you through this, but you're going to learn through this. It's going to be tough. We have a saying here, one of our values is generosity. We live open-handed. You know, we pick that because that image is so good. When you're not generous, your hand is closed because you're going to hold on to your money and you're not going to give it to somebody. But when you're generous, you need to open your hand so that they can take from you. But you know, this has another effect because when your hand is open to give your hands also open to receive but when your hand is closed to give even if God wanted a poor blessing your hand cannot receive so there is a literal principle that when your hand is open to give it's also open to receive and that's the only way it works of course not everyone has the same financial means we cannot all give away lots of money, but we can give based on our current budget. We may be generally struggling monetarily, but the point is this. God wants us to use whatever we have to bless others so that he can bless us. And then lastly, number six, put your trust in God, not your finances. Now, if you were here for last Sunday's sermon, we talked about how like trying to plug our house into different things other than God's grace through just trusting him doesn't get you the results you need. Now, I don't have another piece of artwork, but imagine 
if your house, your furnace, were plugged into a pile of money or into a bank vault? How much heat would your house get plugged into a stack of money? Nothing. Then what makes us think that our life will be to the full, like John 10.10 says, if we're trusting more in money than we are in God? We trust in God. We trust in his word. We trust in these principles he's laid out in his word, and things happen. It's that simple. So again, I want to say we're not here talking about money today in the church because we want more money. No, we're talking about money because we know what God's word says about it, and we know that we can see that God sees that it can damage us if we don't handle it well. So as pastors of a church, we want you not to be damaged. We want you to learn to have everything that God wants you to have. So put your trust in him first. He is our source. And when it comes to finances, people often go from one extreme to the other. They either trust in their bank accounts or the retirement account and whether they're increasing or not. And if you're putting your trust in those, you can start trusting in them more than you trust in God. Or you could be at the other extreme, like when we're fearing layoff or when the stock market loses or when unplanned expenses come up, we may worry more than we ever have before when we start to see things dip. I mean, you can be anywhere in that spectrum between those things, but the bottom line is neither extreme is biblical. And if we want to live biblically, neither one is biblical. The Bible makes it clear that true security can be found in God alone. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 reads, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now let me just pause right there because you're going, okay, I'm not rich. Believe me, according to 90% of the world, and I'm making that number up, but it's got to be close. I'll research it after. I think years ago it was 94% of the world. Americans live better than 94% of the world. That was years ago. So I'm going to guess 90, maybe less. But you get the point. We are considered rich to most of the world. But even so, it goes on to say, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in God. Because our wealth and our possessions are temporary and can easily be wiped out in an instant. And look, even if you're doing well financially, it could go in an instant. It could go through theft. It could go through an accident. It could go through a natural disaster. None of us are secure. But our security is in God alone who will provide. So if we're struggling with our finances, remember Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good. He is a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So trust in him when it comes to to your finances. Let's stand. We have got to do our part when it comes to finances. We need to budget. We need to tithe. 
We need to not overspend and save. We need not to go into debt. We need to give when God tells us to give. The rest, we put our trust in God. Now this morning, I just want you to know, because again, I know in this room, everybody is at a different place financially. I get it. And if you've never learned these principles, you may be going, you know, I feel so horrible because I am, I feel like I'm trapped under a weight of debt. I haven't handled my finances. What do I do? What do I do? Well, let me tell you, there is hope in following these principles. Things can change, but it won't change overnight necessarily. I mean, let's give room for God to do a miracle. But I don't want you to think because you go home one week and start putting these principles into effect that one week later, you'll be all set. But I can guarantee you, not because I have learned this from the Bible over the years, but if I can be a little vulnerable, we have learned this. More importantly, I have learned this through personal experience. When we got married, I was in debt. As I told you, I was very generous. I spent my money. I didn't save it. I liked something. I bought it. My wife, on the other hand, was very wise with her money. She budgeted. She saved. We both were tithers when we got married, but because I had none of the other principles in my life, and she did, there was a huge difference when we got married. In fact, I'll never forget the day we were planning our first apartment. I, I guess we can call it apartment, can't we? It was a upper level of a house. It was basically the attic of a house. It was our first place. And I'll never forget, we were in there working to get ready because uh, the wedding was coming up and we were getting the apartment ready. And, uh, and I'll never forget, Mary came into the room. I'm painting the, the base trim. And uh, she comes in and she goes, hey, you know, since the wedding's so close, we should probably talk about our finances and where we're at. So she had her checkbook in hand and she showed me her checkbook and I went, whoa. And she explained how she did her finances. And I went, hey, all right. And she goes, how about your finances? I'm like, well, um, I really don't track my finances, but I can tell you I'm in debt. <laughs> from that day on, I learned from Mary and the Bible, but more importantly, Mary was there for a practical need to help me to learn how to handle finances. The first 10 years of our marriage, we made... I'm guessing probably 20,000 or less for the first 10 years of our marriage, and that was with a growing family. For, for a lot of years, we were on WIC. I worked multiple jobs to try to get the income in to support my ministry habit. We didn't have money. I mean, we had it, but we didn't have it. Going out to eat, we don't go out to eat. We were on WIC. We needed help from the government just to feed our kids. But I'll tell you, all during those 10 years, we had a budget, we lived within the budget, which included saving, we tithed, we gave above our tithe, and we saved. And all those years, I never saw God not back up his word. In all those years, God would come through in miraculous ways through other people. But we, we not only made it through those first 10 years, but we actually had some money saved up. 
And I'll never forget, for 10 years, I wanted to put away for retirement. We just didn't have it. Mary finally saved up enough money that we actually were able to open a retirement account 10 years after our marriage. I encourage you to get one a lot faster. But anyway, you follow the principles of God. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It was a tough 10 years. But God was there faithfully. And now I look, we've been married 36 years now, and those other 26 years, we have seen God still do the miraculous and are still amazed that God comes through. And I'll tell you, one of the things I am so happy about the principle we have followed is I have learned not just to be generous, but ask God to be abundantly generous. Like, unless you've been part of, like, like... Giving above the tithe is generous. That's great. But when you go to, when you hear God say, give this amount, and you go, but Lord, <laughs> that's, that's really going to put a dent in my account. And he goes, uh-huh. And then you give it, and you watch him come through, and you go, that was so cool. God, do it again. Do it again. You don't want to go back to miserly generosity. When you see God work through you like that, you realize you can be a conduit to really impact people's lives, and then you're like, God, do it again. Can we do it again? But the key is to hear from God, right? We don't just do it out of our own flesh. We do it by listening to God. Okay, so again, I'm just emphasizing, look, I, I'm not just up here teaching these things because there's no skin in the game for me. This is what Mary and I live, and we have lived for 36 years, plus for her. And I can tell you, God is faithful. God is faithful. And if we are asking, if we're seeking God's kingdom first, like Matthew 6 says, if we really are thinking of his kingdom first and foremost, then we can be assured that God will supply our needs. So let me challenge you and encourage you. If I could, I'd force you to do this because I know what a blessing it'll be for you. Commit to these financial principles. You will benefit from it. Your house will benefit from it. You will have peace of mind. There will be less tension about money in the home. But most important, we will learn to trust God. And you will have a deeper appreciation for his purpose and his cause through us. So I close with this. Remember that God, through the Bible, has a lot to say about money, not because it's important to him, because he knows what it can do to you. So we're going to have a time of worship. These altars are open. If you would like some time alone to God, with God, just converse with God, just to hang out, then don't rush out of here. Take the time. Come to my right, your left. You can just stay here as long as you want. Well, until 11. And then the next service is coming in. But you can stay and have some time with God. But if you want prayer for anything, it doesn't matter what it is, you need prayer. You need someone to join with you, intercede for you, then come to my left, your right, as we worship, and the prayer team will be here to pray with you. In fact, let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, it is so much easier when we trust you and take you at your word in every area of life. 
But God, I pray that if there was tension, anxiety, worry for people about this subject, about money, that God, I hope that you will bring peace to their life. That you will remind them that you are for them, not against them. That you're really out for the best if we just follow you, you, and follow your word. God, I pray freedom. I speak freedom over people here today who have felt weighed down, who have felt shame, who have felt imprisoned by their finances. Well, Lord, we speak freedom in this place as each step of discipline and obedience they take to align their finances with you and your word, that God, you will exponentially release them from the things that are holding them back. And God, we will be able to talk about true freedom, not only spiritual freedom, but financial freedom because we take you at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... That concludes this week's podcast. To stay up to date with all things Rock Church, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram as Rock Church MI.